D&D Outdoors is brought to you by the Headline Outdoors. He- head on over to headlineoutdoors.com to watch season one, season two today, and also download Headline Outdoors streaming app on Roku or Fire TV. D&D Outdoors is also brought to you by the Southwestern Outdoorsman. Head on over to www.southwesternoutdoorsman.com and purchase your D&D Outdoors official t-shirt or decal today. Welcome back, everyone, to D&D Outdoors. Today on the show, we have a very special guest. His name is Brian, and he is one of the owners of Southbound Outdoors. Uh, before we get to him today, we're just going to catch you guys up on some of the latest hunting news um, going out throughout the country right now. And just kind of talk about how everything's going. So how are you doing, Dustin? Sounds like you had a fun weekend. Oh, yeah. I enjoyed the time in the woods. Yeah, seeing good deer. Uh, had a lot of does running around. Uh, couldn't get a shot at any of them. Checked three of my cameras, and I sent you pictures. That was it. Four pretty good bucks. I mean, uh, the the smallest ones were eight pointers, and then that's one big brute that's a ten pointer, I believe. Yeah, yeah. You said some nice pictures, some bucks. I'm jealous. I wish we had that out here. I was, I was just as amazed as that piebald fawn. Oh, as I know. Big bucks. Hopefully that piebald fawn grows into a buck one of these days. You can have a cool piebald deer, or even if it's a doe, that'd be a cool trophy to have. Well, the the guy next door to me, he actually had shot at it. Uh, oh, really? A week ago, now missed it. And then he said a big old coyote, a uh, big old coyote came in and he shot that and killed it. But well, he said crazy. that he got a better look at that little piebald, and it actually is a button buck. Oh, really? And he is glad that he did miss it. Yeah, let it grow a little bit. Yeah, I so mean, the it's war's gonna, the war is going to be on in a couple of years. You can get that piebald buck first. You guys with the coyotes. Well, it. One of my other buddies up there, he says it's another one running around. It's two of them actually. So oh. I, I don't know. That's cool. That's definitely something unique that you don't see every day. No, it's not. Yeah. So, speaking actually about coyotes, um, this actually segues perfectly into my first thing I wanted to talk about. So, you know, coyotes are a problem out everywhere. I wouldn't even say out west. Sounds like they're a problem back there, too, right? Yeah. So, in Nevada, the mule deer population was 240,000 in. 1988, which is peak well, during its peak. Now they're around to about 80,000 to 90,000 deer today. And only about 32,000 mule deer reside in Elko County. Well, it's kind of cool. Elko County is considering what Utah does, which is a bounty on coyotes. So used to have that here. Yeah. How much were they out there? You get Certain counties, it, it it got up to I think sixty dollars. Yep. So in Utah, it's fifty bucks, and they are talking about doing that in um, Elko County, Nevada. Now, it is pretty cool. I mean, they said um, you know in Utah they were budgeted for around. Um, 
about fifty dollars coyote, so about five hundred thousand dollars. Um, and in Utah, there were that was killed in the first two years of the program. Wow. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, that's not bad. You go out and get a couple coyotes every day, or on your hunts, pay for your hunt, maybe. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yes, and it doesn't sound like they're really going to do the whole state like Utah is, but they're going to really focus on kind of the crucial winter ranges and the wildfire areas to keep um, they kind of help bring the mule deer's back. Which you know that'd be it'll be fun to watch and see if this passes, especially you know in this day and age how we talk so much about all these anti-animal rights advocacies coming out. So hopefully they don't get their hands on this news, even though they probably already know about it. Yeah, they probably do. Yeah. If I remember correctly, it was, you'd have to go through like the the county dog to get your your money. Oh, really? Yeah. In in, um, Utah, all you have to do is you just have to really bring the lower jaw of the coyote and um, let me see here. What else? And the bottom jaw and the ears of it. So you don't have to bring too much of it. You're still be tearing an animal apart. What? Yeah, it'd be almost You're still tearing the animal down. apart. Yeah, just take an axe and chop his head off would probably be a lot easier. I would think. But you know, that's kinda of, that's that's something now cool, you know. I know when you check a bear in here, you have the, the they'll come in and they'll take the teeth out of it and send yeah. it in. Yeah, it's the same and thing in certain out here. In certain places in South Carolina where I've hunted, they come in with the deer. And actually, will break the bottom jaw out and take it with them. Really? That's interesting. That must be fun for taxidermists to fix. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man, add a little fun to it. I mean, and then speaking, you know, about deer hunting, you sent me a really cool article about Indiana from this past week. Yeah. You want to talk about that? Let me pull it back up. It was a field and stream article about Indiana. A gentleman had killed a 208 inch non. No, it is. It's a typical white tail. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a big white tail. We'll definitely be posting the picture of this white tail throughout the week so you guys can see it if you haven't seen it yet. All these ads popping up now. Oh, uh, yeah, it's he's a big old boy. Yeah. It also says it's the new world record for a crossbow typical whitetail using the Boone and Crock measurement system. Besting the Ohio buck that was taken in 2004. And it could possibly overtake the current world Pope and Young world record that was in at that was brought in at 204 and four eighths of an inch. I mean, it's kind of cool to think that giants are still out there walking. Yeah. 
especially in this day and age, you know, it's kind of one of those things where you wonder how much longer we have left with these giants with, you know, all the hunting that's come in and all the new technology. Now what they say typical, but if you look at it, he's got a split brow tine on the left side. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what I was thinking. Maybe that's why they're still debating over it. Yeah. That's, that's why I was going non-typical, but uh, okay. Yeah. So it has to go through the 60 day drying period right now to see where it's at when it's all dried up. So, I mean, it looks like a 13 pointer. Yeah. Definitely would need some good bolts to hold that thing up on your wall. That's for sure. Yeah, when I picked up the uh, Buffalo head, they told me to make sure I put a, it's a 3 8 carriage bolt into the stud of the wall. To hold it up? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It sits off the wall about three foot from the wall to the end of the nose. Jeez, that's pretty cool, though. Yeah, that's, that's definitely probably a good center talking point. Yeah. How hard was it to mount? It wasn't bad. I mean, you just take – I took a drill and or impact driver and just run the uh, carriage bolt in. And just it's just like hanging a deer. Just hung right on. That's not bad then. Yeah. At all. That's really all the fun news that's kind of happened in the past two weeks. Um, As we should have probably announced at the beginning of the show, we're going to go to every other week now. That way we just aren't rambling on and trying to pull content up for you guys. Um, That way, you know, you guys will be able to hear the news in the past two weeks and all the other good stuff that's been happening. But that way we definitely will be able to Stay up to date and kind of have, I feel, a little better podcast, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah, man. You don't want to get a little stagnant on them. Just I'm trying to find topics to go off of. So we have a little time to do a little research and make it entertaining. Yeah, have some fun with you guys. But we're going to come back from a quick word from our sponsor, Kyrat Headlamps. And we will be on with Brian of Southbound Outdoors. Whether you're packing out an elk late at night or trying to sneak into your deer stand early in the morning in the darkness, definitely want a top-of-the-line headlamp. Well, head on over to Cabbage and get your headlamp today. With 300 lumens and 220 degrees of LED light, the K110 headlamp is the best for you. Head on over to Cavage and get your headlamp today. That is at www.kawachusa.com. We said here we have a very special guest on, Brian of Southbound Outdoors. How are you doing today, Brian? Doing pretty good, Dale. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I can't complain one bit. It's the end of the day, right? That's right. That's right. We're about done here. Yes. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> you never know yeah. what could pop up at the end of the day, especially with all of us having kids. No kidding. No kidding. Yeah. 
Hopefully, we don't care how we don't care how Dustin's doing. We're not going to ask Dustin, but yeah, yeah. Hopefully, mine's in bed sleep. <laughs> he's out. He's out texting his girls. Probably. Oh goodness. <laughs> well, yeah. It's so a long time no see, man. I know, Dustin. It's been a little while, hasn't it? We had a, a project going for a little while that kind of faded. Yeah, it fizzled but, out uh, real fast, didn't it? It did. It was a it was a challenging thing to try to organize that many different people on a regular basis to do, especially being video based. Um, yeah, that's, that's definitely challenging. And everybody was still getting used to COVID and kids being at home during the pandemic. And it was just, there was a lot going on at that time. Adding one more thing on top of it didn't, uh, didn't quite work out, but that's all right. Well, I got to meet yeah. you. So yeah. we'll take that, we'll take that away as a good thing for now. <laughs> I don't know about all that. <laughs> Ooh, that's funny. Yeah, Dustin was telling me all about that fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you're with uh, Southbound Outdoors. You're the owner of it. If I'm correct. that's right. Yeah, my yeah, myself and uh, one of my buddies from North Carolina. So we we work for the same company as as our day job. We met through there, and uh, just a handful of years ago. We you know, pretty quickly figured out we both liked to hunt and started talking hunting and things like that. And he was he was making his own duck calls and turkey calls in his shop for him and a couple of his buddies and sent me a couple and I liked them and had a few people that wanted some. And so we, we kind of spun it up into, the you know, let's, let's see what we can do with this. And so we built a website and started making a few more varieties of calls and reaching out, trying to get feedback from from folks to uh, see what else we need to do and what kind of variations of products they wanted to see. And my buddy's a pretty crafty dude with a shop. So he got out there and started messing around. And so, yeah, we've kind of grown into having a line of duck calls and variety of turkey calls, some different t-shirts. And then this year, uh, my craft playing with 3D printers and started oh. 3D printing some uh things right now mainly for for deer hunting some different hooks and, and straps and things you could put on the tree to hold your backpack and your bow and and things oh, like cool. that Just something he got into saddle hunting and found there was a kind of a gap in some of the products that he wanted to use now so you're going to be starting to expand here soon that's the plan we've got these printed now and kind of got them out this season mostly kind of testing them with some of our friends and family and ourselves to, to see what we think of them. We want to change before we'd offer them up to a, a bigger crew. So we'll yeah. see how they go so far. I'm liking them. They're uh, it's pretty straightforward, but yeah, the 3d printer, it's a, a different, I've, I've got one now he's got one. We share files back and forth with each other so we can come up with an idea and have it, you know, printed by the end of the day, pretty much. It's, it's a pretty handy contraption. Yeah. I've never, I've seen them. They sound, they sound at first kind of, are they difficult to use at first and slowly become easier? There's a little bit of a learning curve, mostly on the software side, you know, learning how to, learning how to draw 3D objects yeah. and get them loaded up into the printer software and then to get them to print clean is, is sort of challenging. Um, you know, just the way that it, you, sort of got to play with materials and temperature settings and how fast something moves. And, you know, if you're, if you're building a, a bracket or something, you play with kind of wall thicknesses and, and things like that. So it's, there's a, there's a lot of 
uh, trial and error, I guess. You, you end up throwing away a whole bunch of parts before you get to that first one that's good. Gotcha. And then you got to remember to save it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, then remember to save it and remember all the settings that you had set up for it and, and go from there. But it's, it's pretty cool to come up with an idea. Like I said, you know, just come up with a random idea for something. Um, and then by the end of the day, have it kind of modeled up and printed out. And then you're not happy with it. You can just make a couple of tweaks and print another one. That's awesome. That's really awesome. What is your... So with your, your calls, I'm assuming you're all handmade then. That's right. Yeah, we do on the duck calls. We do all full acrylic duck calls. Um, you know, those a little bit more hardy to last longer. And with my buddies and his buddies, they're all pretty rough on calls as it is. So we needed yeah. something that would withstand all the beatings that they take. Um, and so we have four different duck calls, one double read and three different single read models that are full acrylic. And then the uh, turkey calls, we mostly do slate calls or pot calls, as a lot of people call them. Uh, yeah. We've got a couple of different varieties of those with different, you know, some of them are louder, some of them are quieter, some of them are more raspy, just depending on what different people prefer on, on their own calling style. And then we did start last year, again, 3D printing. We 3D printed what I call a gobble tube. Um, the, some people call it a snuff can call or they got different names for it but basically it's just a tube and one end of it you got kind of a semicircle cut out and you lay a piece of latex across there and hold it in place with a rubber band and you can use it to make the sounds of a hen but i use it mostly for making an actual gobble i can do like a jake gobble on it oh so it's kind of similar to like would you say like a elk eagle call similar concept yeah similar concept yeah, it's an external read, so you don't put a, I know a lot of the, I haven't elk hunted, but what I understand from elk calls, a lot of times the read goes in your mouth, almost like a diaphragm call. Yeah, yeah, they make two calls, too. The diaphragm calls, for my, I mean, too hard for me, I end up choking on it, so I end up with the tube call most of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've played, yeah, but, I've always had trouble with diaphragm calls, too, but that, that tube call, since the, the read is outside of my mouth, it's attached to the call. Like I said, most of the time, or what I did this past year, uh, my seven-year-old boy actually killed a 10-inch beard turkey this spring with me. Oh, wow. Um, wow. I'm jealous. And it was, uh, yeah, I am too. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but we we chased, you know, come walking in, there was a little group of hens in a field. They saw us and ran off. And so I just set our decoys up right where they were and sat down. I figured if, if they were there, somebody might be looking for them soon. Yeah, and uh, put a Jake, a half strut Jake out there with our decoys, and I uh, hit one, one yelp on the pot call, and the gobbler gobbled at us from the next farm over. He was, we could see him through the trees. He's probably a good three or four hundred yards away, and so I was watching him through the call at him with the pot call, and he would he would come out of strut and look towards us, but then he'd go right back in the strut and stay where he was. And I did that three or four times with different call styles. And I tried being quiet for a minute and watched him. And he was just sitting over there strutting. And so I pulled out my gobble tube and I did a couple of little Jake. I did a series where I would do a yelp on the pot call. And then I would do a Jake gobble back behind it. And uh, that got him angry enough. He came all the way downhill, crossed underneath the fence and came all the way up and went. When we shot him, he was nose to nose with the Jake decoy. Oh, wow. That's awesome. 
he was as long as he was here in hens he was content to stay where he was but when i when we convinced him that there was a a young male over there he was coming in for he came in he walked straight past our hen decoys right up nose to nose with that jake decoy and was fixing to get into a fight so he was it, ready to uh, go it worked out yeah that is that is awesome what did you get um, any of that on film I did get, uh, well, my, so I was calling, I had my seven-year-old on the gun. Uh, and so I had the calls in my hand, but once he started coming across the field, I put the calls down so I could help my seven-year-old make sure he was in control of the weapon. And right. my, uh, my oldest son was with us. He was sitting behind us filming with my phone. And of course, when does he stop filming? Right as the shot goes off. <laughs> so I got the turkey coming across the field all the way up to the decoys, but uh, the, the actual kill shot was not on film. Oh, Lord, isn't that how it always goes? Yeah, it's about right. It so what all right. goes into making a turkey call? More than I thought when we got started on it. I'll say that. Um, you, know, you buy a pot call. You see it's just a little round pot with a, you know, there's different surfaces that are on top of it. Some are slate is most common, I think. But a lot of people have glass or ceramic or crystal and a variety of, of aluminum is popular now. Um but you actually get inside one of those calls, it gets pretty complicated. And so uh, I need to do like an exploded view or something to put on our website to, to show people how this all works. Yeah. But you, you get inside the pot down at the very bottom of the pot. Ours has a, a circle in the middle that's cut out. That's actually a secondary playing surface. So you can flip ours upside down and there's another playing surface on the bottom. So you can have basically two calls in one, but that, that circle and then we have some other sound holes cut out in the bottom of it those affect the resonance chamber inside that call which has a big effect on how the call sounds and then we have that circular pot sitting there and then you have to decide how you're going to support your your soundboard so we use slate for all of our soundboards just a circular piece of slate that sits down in there but if you go with three posts that hold it up if you go with four or five posts that hold it up or if you go with a solid you know circle that it sits on that affects the sound chamber a lot and the resonance that you get from the call so, so it goes then, really gets down to like you have to be within millimeters pretty much of the exact cut yeah it's pretty specific um and like i said you can play with it and get you know you want louder you want softer you want more raspy there's there's a variety of most of it's the inside of the call that's going to affect how how that call can perform. Huh, that's so really interesting. We have different, we have three different uh, pot call designs, and each of them has a different internal sound chamber makeup. And so that's why people can try them out, see which one they like the best. And, uh, and we have people, when we go to shows and, and things like that, they'll come up and try them, and it, everybody has an ear that picks up something different that they like. And, and it's usually so some factor that goes into it. Huh, interesting. Do you think the type of what the material the striker's made out of also makes a difference in the sound? It does. Yeah, you can have. Um, we make a lot of our strikers out of either Purple Heart or Brazilian Cherry. We've had good, good luck with those two wood types on the different playing surfaces we have. But um, the, the striker wood type shape, the shape of the tip how heavy the back end of the striker is, all that kind of goes into some nuances of of making the turkey sounds. That's awesome. Yeah, I never 
You never you never think of it just looking at the call of how the back work that goes into it. It's more complicated than I thought when we first got into it. Like I said, <laughs> yeah. like, went so Dave, I went over to Dave's house for a few days and he kind of showed me everything that went into it and we broke it down and, and started playing with different things. And uh, there's a lot of tweaks here and there you can make and match up strikers. And, uh, you know, we take all of our pots are made out of wood, but we stabilize the wood so that it, when it, if it gets wet out in the field, it won't swell up and, and mess up your call. So there's a process that goes into that with a vacuum chamber and some resin that we stabilize it with. And the wood has to be very dry before you go into that. So it's a, it's a, you know, to make one, we get people sometimes that call us, we're not a custom call shop. You know, we can't, you don't call us and say, I want this call. And we just make that one call. We're set up to do more of like little batch runs of, of calls because there's so many steps and so many days that goes into making one call that it's just, uh, it's a little more cumbersome than we could do for a full custom shop at this point and keep a price point where we wanted it to be for customers. Yes. Yeah. And I was seeing, you know, as you talked about earlier with the frosted glass and the slate, does it really make that, what is it, I guess, difference in sound on it? Or is it just more of a preference of what someone's more comfortable of using? Cause I've only used a slate call. I've never used the actual frosted glass call. In, in general, the frosted glass is going to be a little higher pitched. Okay. And so you can sound like maybe a younger hen. Um, or if you're going to, some people try to do a kiki run on a, a slate call, which it would be like a, the sound a Jake would make when they're trying to locate, you know, a flock or something like that. Um, people use that a lot for fall turkey hunting. The, the glass call and then from other people that make calls with a crystal top, those materials are going to naturally have a higher pitch. And so you could get the, like I said, a younger hen or a kiki or something. It's going to be easier to make on those. The slate is going to be a little more raspy. Uh, some of it comes down to how you condition the call yourself and what grooves you put in there. But a lot of it is that material and just the natural pits and grain that, that those materials have changed the, the sound of the call. They, were, they are pretty easy to use, too. I mean, I've never used a slate call, and I got one of the uh, rippers. I think mm -hmm. it was late this year, and uh, I mean, an idiot like me can do it, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're a good spokesman. I'll have to get that up. <laughs> Anybody can do Ooh, it. You'd, right be our, you'd be our caveman like the Geico commercials. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, oh, uh, the slate call, for me, a, a lot of people, I know when I was growing up, a lot of people recommended a box call or a push peg call for somebody that was just getting started turkey hunting. And, and I've got those, and, and I've used those before, even w with my own kids. But I found with a, a box call, it takes so much movement to make noise. Um, and my kids especially tend to have a trouble with clacking that thing around or squeaking it and things when they try to use it. The pot call, my kids could control it even a little bit better from the get-go to uh, to be successful faster. And it gave them room to, to grow you know, as they wanted to try something different. The call could, the call had the ability to go with them. I could give them a different striker or they could flip it to the other side or we could scratch it up a little bit more and be able to change things up a little bit faster and give them the ability to grow into the call uh, more so than a box call or a push peg would be. Interesting. I do. And then, you know, when it comes to taking care of slate calls and glass calls, you know, people say, 
when they wear out to rub sandpaper over it? What's the point, I guess, of that? Yeah, you want you want to uh, after a while scratching on uh, slate or glass, you're going to wear down that the spot because to make the sound, you're you're basically drawing little circles with your striker. Yeah. So you put the tip of the striker down. You hold it at a slight angle, maybe 20, 25 degree angle, and then you scratch little circles over the surface. And after a while, you're you're knocking a little bit of material off every time you come over it, and so it gets down to where it's starting to get smooth. And so the striker's not catching as much, and so you're not getting that sharpness of sound that the turkeys make naturally with their their vocal cords. So um, you take a piece of, depending on which surface you have. So if it's um, the frosted glass or the slate, and you just want to touch it up a little bit, we use a Scotch Bright pad, and that's rough enough that you could just hit it with a few swipes. So I, I carry that in the field most of the time. I have a little piece of Scotch Bright pad with me. And I uh, just scuff it up a handful of times, and I use that to clean the tip of my striker, because all that, as you're scratching across slate, the uh, the chalkiness of it that comes off kind of gets into the grain of the wood on the tip of the striker. And so I'll take that Scotch Brite pad, rub the tip of my striker on it a few times, swipe that over the slate surface where I've been playing my little circles at, and then go back to it, and it's usually good enough to to get back to where I wanted it. The sandpaper is when you want to do like the initial conditioning, getting the surface down to where I want it. I'll take sandpaper and we take sandpaper and we go in one direction, side to side. And basically all we're doing there is making little grooves that the striker is going to skip over. So as you drag it, it's making that, you know, if you were going to do a turkey purr, it'd be that pop, 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 that you, every time you do that, you're skipping over one of those grooves that you just made with sandpaper. And so okay. that's what you're trying to get there with the sandpaper. Now, if you're using a harder top surface, you know, crystal, ceramic, those take, we use sandpaper. We actually fold a piece of sandpaper in half so that we have like a, almost a sharp edge of sandpaper and use that to actually score lines in, in that because ceramic and crystal are harder. Now they're going to hold those edges a lot longer than slate or, or the frosted glass. So once you condition them, they're going to stay that way a lot longer. It's just harder to get them that way the first time. Okay. That's really interesting, yeah, because you know, I've seen all different different tactics out of the field, and I was always kind of wondering what the point of it has been. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, this year, we started playing with aluminum this year. We had a lot of people ask about aluminum surfaces on pot calls. We did some of that, and it's it sounds really good, but you you – barely hit that aluminum with some scotch bright and that's plenty we don't even use sandpaper on it sandpaper is almost too much for the aluminum surface is really soft but it gives you a really really nice sound um and so it's yeah different surface types depend on how how rough how coarse and how dense that the surface is it changes up what you have to use in the way that you condition it okay that's awesome that's really awesome. So kind of switch it up here. Let's talk about your duck calls that you guys have. So you said you have like double read, one double read, and the rest are single read? Yeah, we, we so we have a double read design. It's a little bit smaller of a call. Um, it's got some range to it, but a, a double read, you know, I've only met a handful of people in my life uh, that would use a double read for really aggressive duck calling. 
you know, most of the people that I've, and I've been duck hunting since I was 10 years old. Um, most of the people I've duck hunted with, if they were using double reed, it was for easy, quiet work. You know, they might be hunted, hunting some flooded timber or they might be hunting, you know, a brush or a small pond or something where they're, they're not having to really yell at the ducks very from very far away or very loud. And so we, we made a, a double read call. It's double read is typically easier for people to learn on because it doesn't allow you to get very far out of a range that sounds like a duck. It just, it's, it controls you and how much air you put into it. It's, you can still mess it up, but it's harder for you to mess up a, on a double read and make a, a bad sound on it. Okay. But it also limits your, your range. You know, people that want to do these, hail calls these highball calls all this this stuff where they're getting really loud and calling it ducks that are really far away or that want to get into competition calling you know single read duck calls have a lot more range and variability you can get into it but it requires you to have more control over your own air presentation and your voice that you put into it and things like that okay so kind of the double read will be better for beginners and then once you kind of learn on that move your way up to the single read you'd suggest Typically, yeah, I carry, I mean, I'm one of those guys that wears a lanyard with, you know, four calls on it because I can. Got to so, get your net, you got to get your network out in. Yeah, that's right. You got <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's a marketing aspect to it for sure. Yeah. And then uh, there's certain days that ducks just like different things. And so if there's a day or if I'm hunting public land where there's a ton of people on it all the time, you know, there's a chance I may not blow a call at all, or I might just take out a double read and do some real real light sounding quacks or real light chatter, something that's just very basic um, as opposed to trying to be super loud and aggressive. But then there's other days where, you know, ducks I've hunted with guys. I grew up hunting on, on real foot Lake, which is in Northwest Tennessee. It's a huge lake, but lots of public hunting and very high pressure. And for some reason, the ducks up there love when you just scream at them. And so I grew up with guys that, would buy the loudest calls they could possibly find and they would do a highball or a hail call at these ducks from the moment they could see them until the feet touched the water and the ducks would just come into it every time you didn't have to finesse them at all That's so awesome. it's depending on where you're at you know learning how to read the birds and everything you kind of need different things but yeah in general a double read is going to be easier for somebody to learn on and it's going to control things a little bit better for you and give you you know, more of a safe play area, if you want to think of it that way. Sanger Reed's going to allow you a lot more things you can do, but it's also going to let you screw up if you if you do it wrong. Gotcha. So how's your duck? Have you been duck cutting this year yet? Ours hasn't opened yet, so we open oh, the, the Saturday after Thanksgiving is our opening day down here. Gotcha. So, where, you guys are in the eastern fly zone? We are Mississippi fly, flyway. Mississippi. Gotcha. Yep. That's crazy with all these different fly zones trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we opened up, I think, two, three weeks ago. Yeah, I used to do a lot of duck hunting when I lived in Colorado, but now in Arizona, it's definitely a lot more difficult to duck hunt down here. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to get too far off of a major flyway to get out of it. Uh, yeah. They tend, to, they tend to stick to a certain area, but um, yeah, we're, we're chomping at the bit. My text group of buddies has been blowing up all day today because it's supposed to actually be decently cold here on opening day this year whereas well, the past exactly. handful of years i can remember it was out there in t-shirts and still sweating yeah so uh <laughs> looking forward to a, a semi-cold opener that's good 
Yeah, it's been it's been a hot one this year, especially even out here. Now, one of the last times that we actually had a chance to talk, you were actually saying something about you having problems finding material and all, like your latex and all. Is that still happening, or is things picking back up? That eased up some. Yeah, there for a while, the um, people were using acrylic pretty heavily for doing all the dividers at businesses for, for COVID. And so it got to where they were using acrylic and, and plexiglass and different things like that. You know, resins were in pretty high demand for making the dividers to keep you separated from the, the bank tellers and, and folks like that. Um, that all seemed to ease up. So we were able to get into some material this summer and do a, a pretty good run of duck calls that we got. You know, we got them finished up later than we, we wanted to this year. Um, we were definitely behind schedule from what we would what we would desire. But we were able to find it by, you know. June and July, things were back in stock this this past summer, which was helpful. Okay, that's good. But yeah, it struggled. Latex, latex has been for the turkey calls. Uh, it it got real hard to find this past spring for uh, the tube calls, especially just finding uh, even pre-cut latex. And so a lot of people went to buying latex gloves and cutting those up to make turkey call reeds out of. And I know oh, wow. they're still. A lot of people that use prophylactics for for the reads on their turkey calls and i just can't quite bring myself to do that yet i know it works i know a lot of people that do it but uh as long as i got other options i'm gonna stay away from it <laughs> <laughs> oh that's funny add some fun to it all yeah Make so a good, your, safe your, turkey hunt <laughs> yeah yeah i'm looking forward to turkey season this year i think I'm trying. One of my buddies is trying to convince me to go down to Mexico and go for a Gould's turkey, which I think that'd be kind of exciting. Because turkey hunting in Arizona is definitely it's fun. Don't get me wrong, but you know we don't we have the uh, Mariners turkey for the most part out here, and then we have some of the Gould's turkey. Have you got? Have you shot anything else besides Eastern or? All I've shot's Easterns. It's a, it's on my my bucket list to to travel and do some turkey hunting. But I, I don't know much about the other subspecies other than what I've seen on videos and stuff. I've got friends and, you know, I've got some friends in Colorado and some other places that have hunted and, and told me about them. But uh, it sounds like a lot of fun, the different terrain and, and habitat and the ways they respond to calls. It, it sounds like yeah. a whole lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. Yeah, I got my turkey hunt this year. Is, uh, it was fun. You know, I was in a unit with low, low odds and unfortunately I didn't get one, but. You know, definitely was a good experience, and dang coyotes got me on the last day. We were calling it a nice old Tommen working his way in. Next thing you knew, Noah coyote was over the hill chasing that thing away so fast. <laughs> I was so mad. Yeah, we've had them come into our decoys a couple of times, and uh, yeah. we try to we try to take care of them if we can while we're out yeah. there turkey hunting. Yeah, this yeah they they were that coyote as soon as that tom took off that coyote was on it so quick I don't think the tom's there anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So are you guys gonna be on um, any outdoor shows this year for anybody to come visit you? Yeah, we're signed up for a couple right now. So we for the past few years we've done the National Wild Turkey Federation show in Nashville, Tennessee. Last year it was end up being a virtual show, and this year they're 
right now everything's planned to go back full in person with the exhibitor floor and everything. So we've got a booth at that one, which is in February. Uh, and then we've got a booth at the Dixie Deer Classic, which is in Raleigh, North Carolina, which is at the very first weekend of March. So, yeah. So, so if people want to come see you, test them out, you definitely need to head out that way. How was doing a virtual convention? It was a little rough. Um, it was it was strange. So we set up a little virtual booth and the, they were using software, which wasn't bad. It was pretty easy to set up, but the, the booths were a little generic looking. You know, they had like a, a man and a woman in a business suit standing in front of a whole bunch of outdoor materials. So it, uh, yeah. it looked a little funky, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but it wasn't bad. We got some website traffic from it and um, we had a, as far as sales of calls go, we had a really good turkey season and sales of pot calls. We had a new uh, Dave again got in the shop, got a little creative, and he started making a new version of the Ripper, where he could do some poured colored epoxy on the back of it and make some designs that were built into the back side of the call, uh, along with changing up the sound chamber, and that gave it a much more you know personal feel. People like that you have a call that sounds great, also looks great, has some aesthetics to it, has some ergonomics built in the side where your fingers kind of fit around it more naturally. Um, and so that, that call, we actually sold all the way out of that call. Everything we made, we, we got rid of this spring. Oh, that's um, awesome. Dave's in the shop now. He made a jig. He still cuts them all by hand in his shop, but he made him a jig now where he can cut four at a time instead of one at a time. Yeah. Get a little so bit more efficient. Yeah. He can, he can turn through them a little bit faster. That's good. That's awesome. Do you have any also, Justin? We're also a little concerned Dave's, Dave's son, Mason, helps us out a lot in the shop making calls and stuff, but he's, he's getting into high school now and uh, women we'll and... figure we'll, we'll lose our, uh, we'll lose our interested semi-free labor here pretty soon. If he gets yeah. too far into girls or anything. Yeah. Dang girls. <laughs> I got an 11 year old that uh, you probably heard the podcast that, you know, you get up at two o'clock in the morning, go to the bathroom there. He is on like a, a text chat or something with a bunch of girls. It's like, what are you doing, man? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Danger, danger. Ah, I, I have a daughter, so I'll be the opposite. I'll be the one with they were sitting with the shotgun with the turkey call calling. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 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 Because it cuts both ways, that's for sure. Yeah. Oh man. Do you have any more questions for him, Dustin? Um, no, I'm actually cruising the website now, uh looking at the different calls and maybe a couple yeah, really- shirts. Yeah, I really like the color variations. Those are cool. We tried to come up with something that's, you know, there's a ton of people, and this goes for duck calls and turkey calls. There's a ton of folks that make calls as a hobby. And so they just go out in their shop and they crank out four or five of them, and sit, sit out there and hand tune them and, and mess with them for hours on end. And, and there's some absolute artists out there when it comes to making calls. Um, that you know, handcraft everyone and carve scenes into them and, and, and all this type of stuff. And, and those folks are fantastic. And we talk to them a lot and, and they're great guys. We, we tried to come up with something that was in between, you know, it's not a, it's not a $20 call you buy in a plastic clamshell at, at, at a store that's mass produced who knows where, but it's also not a handcrafted one of a kind, you know, custom made call that's going to cost you four or $500. We're, we're in the middle of, of those two where we can give you something that is functional. It looks great. 
but we can also produce fairly consistently. So if you buy one and you like it and you want to buy another one or your buddy wants one, he's going to get something that's, that's pretty close to what you got. Uh, we're trying to hit that, that middle ground and make everybody happy. Heck yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Looking at it, your calls look, they said very, fairly, very reasonable in price, especially for how pretty they are. That's something I didn't realize until we, we really got into it, especially going to shows and things like that. The, the people that are out there making calls, they're a pretty good little community of folks. Um, you know, we've got connections with a lot of different people who most people would, would see them as a competitor in an industry, but we all kind of openly talk amongst ourselves about call designs and struggles that we have and suppliers and where we get stuff from. And, you know, there's Facebook groups for call makers where people go on and, and, and share ideas. And uh, when you get together at these shows, you know, we like working in the booth and I love talking to folks, but a lot of times we go, we'll take turns going and walking and, and go meet with the other call makers that we you know, saw the year before and say, Hey man, what you got new this year? And we'll check it out. Oh, that's cool. Check out what I did. And it's a, um, you know, it's cool to see we can sort of compete with each other, but we also know almost nobody that's seriously in the hunt is going to buy just one duck call or one yeah. turkey call. Everybody's going to want a bunch. And so there's everybody in the industry and we're all just there to have a good time with each other, give people good equipment they can take in the outdoors and, and uh, help each other out. So it's a, it's a cool time when you go to those shows. I've always gone to them before as just an attendee going as a vendor and then being able to walk around and make those connections and keep those relationships year to year has been really, really neat. Yeah, that's awesome. I definitely, I wish I could be out East to come to one of your shows. We don't have too many shows out here in Arizona, but I always try to make them when they're out here. Definitely. Now, if somebody is looking to buy one of your calls, where can they go to find it? Yeah, our website, southboundoutdoors.com. Uh, all of our stuff is there and I, the inventory stays up to date. You're, you're currently talking to the uh, shipping department and the order fulfillment center right here. So gotcha. my little home office here is set up with a shelf system that's full of duck calls and turkey calls and bags and boxes and bubble wrap and, and everything and a little scale away packages on them when I ship them. So they go and right then out where can we, Where house. can everybody find you on uh, social media? Do you have any? Pretty much everything. Yeah, Facebook is Southbound Outdoors. Um, TikTok is Southbound Outdoors. Instagram is Southbound Calls. Somebody already had the Southbound Outdoors on there, even though they haven't used it since, I think, 2014 was the last post they had or something like that. But oh, good. Of course. We can't. Uh, we've been trying to get in touch with them to get it, but we haven't been able to get in touch with them. So, yeah, everywhere is Southbound Outdoors, except for Instagram is Southbound Calls. Um, Perfect. Yeah, well, definitely. And on the website, anybody wants to buy anything, I made up a a discount code so if somebody uses headline because y'all are i've always known y'all as headline outdoors yeah right uh, right so the headline is set up as a 10 percent discount on the website so when you go to check out be a coupon code in our headline is a coupon code they'll get 10 percent off of the purchaser perfect yeah so i'll definitely i'll be i'll have all your social media we'll tag in the description and the website so people can go check you out along with this discount code yes we're a part of we're uh we're the What's the best way to say it? We aren't this way. I've always been said I have a, I had a face for radio, so this way you don't have to see my face all the time. You just hear my <laughs> voice. <laughs> I understand. Yeah, I'm, I'm similar. <laughs> Same way with me. <laughs> I know. We were doing that video thing. Dustin would come all dressed up, fancy with his hair slicked back and everything. Ready to go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
Oh, I love it. Well, thank you very much, Brian, for coming on. We'll definitely have to have you on again, especially with duck season wrapping up and before uh, the spring turkey season comes on. Yeah, guys, happy to join anytime. Always happy to talk to y'all. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for coming on, and um, I hope we didn't take up too much of your time. We really do appreciate it, and if you definitely, if you're looking for the market for your upcoming duck calls, goose calls, or turkey calls, head on over to southboundoutdoors.com, and don't forget to use that code, save you guys some money. It was great having Brian of Southbound Outdoors on. As we said, use code HEADLINE for 10% off your Southbound Outdoors turkey calls, duck calls, geese calls, and gear. As always, be sure to check us out on Instagram, Facebook at D&D Outdoors. Like um, and give us five stars of where you listen to this podcast at. And, you know, as always, be sure to download, subscribe. Have a great day. And if you're heading to work, I promise it will be over soon, or at least I hope it is.